0: you're listening to Warsaw Evangelical Presbyterian Church's podcast we'd love to worship with you today today's message comes from senior pastor Aaron Klein my guess is that for many of you all you have to do is look at your health insurance statements and you will recognize that the uh, health insurance industry is in big trouble within our nation. I can know that personally over the course of the past few years as different denominations that we've been a part of have tried to wrestle with the costs of rising health care has caused us to take on a number of different plans. What's interesting is that the first denomination that I was a part of did not require that you were a part of that plan. It was wonderful that they offered it, but the problem was because it was an optional plan, oftentimes many people, especially when they were younger, opted out of that plan. It was very affordable for pastors and churches because they could simply shop the market, find what was affordable, and use that. The problem was the people who were left in the denominational plan were traditionally older, and it had a smaller pool of people from which it was drawing, which, of course, would cause the costs to rise. Uh, What also happened is that they ended up having younger families who would often opt out, and they would opt out for a season until either they had a pre-existing condition— or until they reached their maximums or they retired. And once they retired and needed healthcare insurance, well, then they would opt back into the denominational plan. Well, you can imagine what was happening now. It caused the the pool of people to be older. It wasn't being supported by younger people. And so what they did is they came up with what was known as the covenant of care agreement. And they said, well, we really want to make this mandatory but if you choose to opt out and go your own way you must still make payments towards the denominational plan that way if you've opted out you're still supporting the work of the denomination and the health care of others. Now, you can imagine that for some, that that was okay. If you could find a better plan for cheaper, they'd go that route. But for others, they saw it as pejorative, that you're kind of putting your thumb on us. But the reason was, it was to try to say, we are going to covenant together in order to make this health care affordable. Now, maybe you've experienced something like that. On the other hand, maybe you haven't. My guess, though, is all of us are familiar with either covenants and or contracts. Uh, If you've bought a house recently or if you've bought a car recently, you know that there are the mountains of paperwork that you have to sign. Though it's certainly been made easier with e-signatures that you don't necessarily have to go through all of the papers, but you know that you're still signing your name, at least electronically, dozens and dozens of times. Now, if you've ever bothered to actually look at and read a contract, you know that there's all kinds of words and terms that you may not necessarily understand. Clauses addendums things of that nature now some people would say that a contract really is a word that represents uh, a bunch of paperwork that we should read in its entirety but we often don't right because of the length of all the paperwork we don't actually read through it word for word But oftentimes in contracts, you will come across a few different things. One is a contract is often time-bound. There is a reason you sign this paperwork. You say, okay, it's time-bound. You have a certain amount of time to fulfill that contract. And if you don't, well, then you might be able to renegotiate or you may be able to pull out. Uh, Of course, we also know that contracts contain clauses. Oftentimes they are if-then type clauses. If you do this, then I will do this for you. And again, clauses are put in as a way to safeguard so that if one party isn't keeping up their end of the contract, you have a way to either get out or a way to renegotiate. Of course, contracts also contain signatures. There are signatures that allow us to hold people accountable to one another. It's a way to, so, to show I am going to take responsibility for what it is that I have promised to do. Now, contracts today may seem as though they are hundreds of pages long, but contracts actually are a biblical concept. They go all the way back to the very beginning. People were signing contracts for things like land Right for exchanging of goods and services though in biblical days the way in which they would often sign contracts was through the grabbing of thighs or the exchanging of sandals or a marriage and a wedding. Actually, it makes the hundreds of pages of contracts that you have to read through not sound so bad if you're thinking, I've got to grab somebody else's thigh in order to sign this, right? But here's the reason why we're talking about this. Because contracts and covenants, while similar, are certainly very different. Certainly, we will find within covenants, if-then type statements but what we understand is that in today's day and age, we'll say things like a marriage. A marriage is a covenant that God has established between two people. But we often see people treating marriage more like contracts, saying, you know what, uh, irreconcilable differences. I'm not going to be a part of this relationship anymore. So instead of it simply being if then, if you do this, then I will do that, a covenant simply says, I will. Think about it. With your own children, you say, I will love you. When they're born, we choose. We say, I will love my child. And even if they screw up, even if they end up in jail, even if you are separated from them and not able to see them, even if they go astray and don't follow the ways in which you have taught them, They're still your children, and so you still say, I choose to love you. It never changes your covenant promises to love them, even if you don't always agree with the choices that they have made. And this tells us God is a covenant-making, covenant-keeping God. God, as we see throughout Scripture, makes covenant promises to his people. God says, I will do this. And we see people saying, God, as you choose to make this covenant with me, I will choose to follow it. We choose to accept or reject it. When we make a covenant with God, there's no negotiating. We're not going back and forth saying, well, you know, God, what about this? Or what about this term? No, God says, I will choose to be your God. And you will choose to be my people. And even if we don't keep up our end of the covenant promises, what we will see is God always remains faithful to his promises. In fact, throughout biblical history, we see the way in which God makes covenants with his people. Now, certainly there are a number of different covenants that we see in scripture, more than just five. But theologians really look at five major theological covenants that God makes with his people. The first is this, the Noachic covenant, right? The covenant that God makes with Noah saying, I will not destroy the earth again. And he signs this oath with a rainbow in the sky. You see the Abrahamic covenant that God made with Abraham saying, I am going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great. And all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed through you. We see God make this covenant with Moses, the Mosaic covenant at Sinai, where he says that you, as a people of Israel, are going to be my special possession. But these are the things that I need you to do as you follow me. We see the Davidic covenant that God made with David, saying there will always be a son of yours on the throne of Israel. So this idea of this covenant promise that we see fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And then the new covenant... It's the new covenant that God makes with us in Jesus Christ. Now, here's what's interesting. Most contracts contain if then type statements. And what we know is that Israel continued to and constantly failed to keep their contract or their covenant side. But God said, even though you have been unfaithful to me, I will still be faithful to you. We know from scripture where God says, I cannot disown myself. That God is a covenant maker and a covenant keeper. And even when we don't keep up our side of the covenant, God still keeps his. He says, I will fulfill both sides of this covenant. And we see the way in which he does that in Jesus Christ. God is always faithful to His promises now I'm going to tell you right up front why all of this is important before I lose you before you fall asleep this morning it's kind of the sermon in a sentence why is it important that we understand that God is a God of covenant promises the reason why it's important to know there's a difference between covenants and contracts is this the better You understand that God is a covenant maker and a covenant keeper the better you will be able to understand our salvation in Jesus Christ the reason why this is important is because contracts are always performance based but covenants are acceptance based a contract is transactional but a covenant is relational if you and I have a contract with God we will never know if we have done enough if we have earned our salvation this is the problem that we're going to discover the writer of Hebrews is unpacking for us he's saying by following the law With all of its rules and regulations, are you ever really going to know whether or not you are saved? But if we look at it as a covenant that we simply accept and receive, then we understand that this gift of salvation that God has given to us is a free gift gift, a covenant that he has made with us in Jesus Christ that is to be accepted. We've been studying together the fact that in Hebrews that Jesus is a better high priest. He's a better high priest in the order of Melchizedek and what we are going to discover today is he's not just a better high priest, he's a better high priest of a new and better covenant of A greater covenant now that's a lot of background and a lot of setup but the reason is because as we turn to our text today we're going to be taking all of Hebrews chapter 8 what I hope we discover together is how God is a God of covenant and through Jesus Christ he has given us a better covenant and a greater covenant So if you've got your Bibles handy, let's open up to Hebrews chapter 8. We're going to be studying together verses 1 to 13. Of course, you're going to be able to follow along on the screen behind me. Uh, Take out your phone if you want to put the the word of God in in your face in that way as well. Allow that light to shine on you. But let's study together. Let's hear now the reading of God's word. Now, the main point of what we are saying is this. So the, the building on, hey, All of the things that I was talking about with Melchizedek, why Jesus is a greater high priest in the order of Melchizedek, he's saying the point is this. We do have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven and who serves in the sanctuary, the true tabernacle set up by the Lord, not by a mere human being every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices and so it was necessary for this one also to have something to offer if he were on earth he would not be a priest for there are already priests who offer the gifts prescribed by the law they serve at a sanctuary that is a copy and a shadow of what is in heaven this is why moses was warned When he was about to build a tabernacle, see to it that you make everything according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. But in fact, the ministry Jesus has received is superior to theirs as the covenant of which he is a mediator is superior to the old one. Since the new covenant is established on better promises. For if there had been nothing wrong with the first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. But God found fault with the people and said... The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they did not remain faithful to my covenant. And I turned away from them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will establish with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my laws In their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another know the Lord. Because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. By calling this covenant new he has made the first one obsolete. And what is obsolete and outdated will soon disappear. And I pray that God will bless the reading of his word to our hearts and lives this morning. What's interesting is a couple of weeks ago, as we were studying together Hebrews chapter 7, I made the comment, it's strange that we're actually preaching a sermon on a sermon of Genesis chapter 14. I said actually this week it's the same thing again and Pastor Andrew said whoa it's like sermonception," which for those of you who know the movie Inception it's like a dream of a dream of a dream. Well guess what today we're going to be studying a sermon that is a sermon of Jeremiah chapter 31 verses 31 to 34. Uh, What the writer of Hebrews is doing is he's giving an explanation of what he has already heard as he expounds on Jeremiah chapter 31. And what he's trying to do is he's trying to say that Jesus sat down at the right hand of God after he had done the work, the better work of a new covenant of this new high priest. And what we discover is this, that Jesus' sanctuary is superior, that his sacrifice is superior, and that its security is superior. So that's where we're headed today. The first point is this. Notice, the new covenant is greater because the sanctuary is superior. The sanctuary is superior. If you've got your Bibles handy, look back at verses 1 and 2, and what we will see is that Jesus is our high priest who sat down at the right hand of the majesty of heaven, who serves in the sanctuary, the true tabernacle set up by the Lord, not by any mere human being. Remember, in the Old Testament, when the people were wandering in the desert, what did God have them do? He had them build a tabernacle, a tent of meeting where God would gather with them. Uh, Later on, we see how they built the temple. And the temple was the place where the altar was, where the Ark of the Covenant was, and people would go, and they would offer sacrifices there. The point is this, that God tabernacled with his people. Whether in the tabernacle itself or whether it was in the the temple, God gathered with his people. Now, notice from our passage, there's a couple of things. That the priest never took his seat. What does that mean? Well, what the writer of Hebrews is trying to say is that there were no seats in the temple where the 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 worker the 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 priest could go about their work and then they would sit down the only seat was the mercy seat on the ark so the point is the point he's trying to make is the the priests never finished their work they were they were always offering sacrifices And there were more sacrifices that always had to be made so he's saying look they were constantly working there was constantly things that needed to be done sacrifices and incense and all the things that had to be done they were never able to finish their work and to sit down but he says notice Jesus Christ is our great high priest and when he finished his work what did he do he sat down why Because there were no more sacrifices to be made. There was nothing left to be done. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty of God in heaven. Now, what's so important about being seated at the right hand? We know that being seated at the right hand is a place of power, of privilege, and of authority. Uh, People used their right hands. It was a place of honor. And so Jesus sits at the right hand. But this is something interesting. I was discovering this this week that in sitting at the right hand, that the Sanhedrin was considered kind of the Supreme Court. It was their highest court in the land. So the Supreme Court, the Sanhedrin, was made up of 70 plus the high priest. And they were kind of that last line of adjudication before them. But here's what's interesting, is that when they would sit together, the person, they had a scribe. And the scribe who would sit on the left-hand side, when the verdict would come down as a condemnation, it was the scribe on the left who would write down what that condemnation was. But it was the scribe on the right-hand side, if the verdict was an acquittal, who would write the Forgiven, the acquittal. And it's amazing because Jesus Christ, this place of power and authority sitting at the right hand of God, is also that same one who says before God on our behalf, forgiven. It's Jesus who also writes our acquittal because of his life and his death and his resurrection. Jesus is the one who sits at the seat of pardon. And because of him, we are made righteous. But a second thing that we see here is that what the writer of Hebrews is saying is that God no longer dwells in a specific location. It's not that God dwells in the tabernacle, that God dwells in the temple, in the Ark of the Covenant. It's saying God now dwells In Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ is the one who dwells amongst us This is how we know who God is through Jesus and now When you know Christ it says that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit where God Dwells God dwells in us through Jesus Christ through the power of his Holy Spirit and what the writer of Hebrews says, and we talked about this last week in verse 5, that is a far better place than in a specific location. That Jesus is the very real thing. And he's a better temple, a better place where we can dwell. Notice, by the way, what does Revelation chapter 3.21 say? To the one who, who is victorious I will give the right to sit with me on my throne just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne there is coming a day when not only we will see Jesus seated at the right hand of God but it says that we shall sit with him not because we are good or deserving, but because Jesus has been good and deserving in our place. Jesus is a superior sanctuary. Notice, second, Jesus' sacrifice is superior. The sacrifice is superior. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. We've been talking about this over the past couple of weeks. But remember, the, the, the major role of a high priest was to administer gifts and sacrifices right that was what their job description was sometimes they would offer bulls and goats and oxen sometimes they might offer birds right like pigeons or doves but the point is they were always making more sacrifices there was always more work to be done but the point of verses three and four if you want to read that again Is that every high priest is appointed to offer sacrifices, but he's saying, meaning that Jesus would have also had to offer a sacrifice. However, Jesus didn't offer an animal. He's saying Jesus offered himself. That Jesus is the high priest who offered himself on our behalf. He placed himself. Upon the altar. Now, notice what verse 4 says. This is interesting. It says that if he were on earth, he would not be a priest, for there are already priests who offer the gifts prescribed by the law. Now, you read that and you're like, what in the world does that mean? It's another way of saying that Jesus is a better high priest who is offering a better sacrifice. Notice. Jesus never entered into the Holy of Holies to offer a sacrifice on our behalf. He could have. He's a better high priest. He had every right to enter into that place in the temple, but notice Jesus never did that because that was never the nature of his priesthood. See, the point is other priests had to make sacrifices according to to the law, but Jesus' priesthood was to offer Himself. It was superior in every single way. So His sacrifice is better. And notice a third thing: its security is superior. Security that Jesus offers us is superior when he's talking about a new and better covenant. Look at verse 6 it says the ministry Jesus has received is Superior as superior to theirs as the covenant of which he is a mediator is superior to the old one since the new covenant is Established on better promises and what he says is look if the first covenant was good enough There wouldn't have been a need for another one Now that's not to say That The first one was bad that there was something wrong with the first one after all God was the one who made that first covenant with the people so it's not that God was wrong or that the covenant was bad it's that God renewed the covenant and we see that throughout the Old Testament God would sometimes renew covenants with people and he's saying God renewed his covenant with a better one one that has better promises. And it's here that he turns his attention to Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 to 34. And he uses that in a way to try to say, to make the case that this new covenant is actually better than the old one. A couple of thoughts about this. The first is this. um, This is the only place in the entire Old Testament where the word new and covenant is used together. And second, this is the longest quoted Old Testament passage in its entirety quoted in the New Testament. So here you have this long explanation, these verses that the the sermonizer of Hebrews is using in order to tell us that this new covenant with Jesus Christ is better in every single way. And He does it by saying this. If you're following along, the first is this. The new covenant is based on relationship, not rules. It's based on relationship, not rules. Verse 9 says this. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they did not remain faithful to my covenant and I turned away from them, declares the Lord. Remember what we were saying earlier, right? When God made a covenant with the people at Mount Sinai, it was this Mosaic covenant that he says, hey, I will be your God, you will be my people. These are the things that I need you to do. He gives them the law by which to live by. And he promises that if you follow these laws, if you obey these laws and you live by these rules and regulations, you are always going to be my people. But what happened? The people couldn't do it. They couldn't follow. they rejected God's laws, and so what did God do? He says, "I'm going to give you a new promise." The incredible thing about the New Covenant is that the prophet Jeremiah caught a glimpse of a day when God would come down from heaven and when He would rule and reign in people's hearts. People would follow the rules, not because they had to follow the rules but because they loved the rule maker. They loved Jesus Christ. When God gave us a new covenant in Jesus Christ, it wasn't based on following the rules and the laws and then offering sacrifices when we couldn't follow those rules and laws. It was based on having a relationship with Jesus Christ. Who died for us because we couldn't keep the commandments. And so, what he's saying is, we can live in love and fellowship with the Creator through a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's not based on following rules, it's based on a relationship with Jesus. But because of that relationship with Jesus, this is what happens. The new covenant is based on desire, not duty. It's based on desire, not duty. Verse 10 says, This is the covenant I will establish with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds, and I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. What he's saying is that god isn't just writing the laws on stone tablets that he's writing them on our hearts you know think about the relationship that we have with our children we don't want them to follow the rules simply to follow the rules for our sake we don't want them to listen to us out of duty we want them to listen to us out of desire but what do we say, right? If you don't eat your dinner, you're not going to get any dessert, right? If, if you don't stop fighting, you're going to go to your room. So help me if you don't get along. We're going to turn this car around, right? Of course, the, the, do any of us, the kids must know, do we ever really mean that, right? You're on your way to, to Disney. You've already spent thousands of dollars, right? You're like, we're not going to go, you know, and you're like, yeah right you know but the point is this right when when we make these rules for them we don't want them just to listen just for the sake of of listening we we want our kids to listen to us out of desire because they love us and we want we want what's best for them it's the same thing with God right God doesn't want us just to follow out of well because we have to right Uh, Because of some duty, he wants us to follow out of a desire. And and this, we're, we're not following Jesus out of a duty to follow Jesus. No, it's because he desires us to be in relationship with him. And the thing is, when we have a relationship with Jesus Christ, and his law is written upon our hearts, well then... We want to follow the law because we know that it's God's best for us. And he gave it to us because he loves us. So we do it out of desire, not duty. And then third, the new covenant will be based on forgiveness, not fear. Notice what verses 11 to 12 say. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest. For I will forgive their wickedness and I will remember their sins no more. You know, you look at the the prophets of the Old Testament and oftentimes it was like, you better return to the Lord or you're going to get it. You're going to be in trouble if you don't. And we see the way in which people were constantly offering sacrifices and it was a constant reminder of the way in which they had fallen short, the blood being poured out day after day. And you can imagine people might live in fear. Have I ever really done enough? Have I accomplished enough? Have I listened enough? Have I followed enough in order to have God say, okay, you've done enough. I can let you into heaven. There's always going to be fear around whether or not you're doing enough, stacking up in order to have God allow you into heaven. But notice, the new covenant that God establishes with us in Jesus Christ is not based on fear. It's based on forgiveness. It's Jesus Christ who takes our sins away and removes them as far as the east is from the west. Forever. Always. Not To be remembered again it is forever gone and what I love about this new covenant that God gives us in Jesus Christ do you notice in this passage the all-inclusive nature of the forgiveness that we have in Jesus Christ it says that one day all will know him see the old covenant Was given to a specific group of people. The Jewish people. And that old covenant had to do with land. That was there for them. So if you were born Jewish. You were born into that covenant. It was very inclusive. But the joy of Jesus and this new covenant. Is that it looks outward to the world and it invites everyone to enter into the kingdom through faith in jesus christ just because you were born to christian parents who took you to church every single week doesn't mean that you are automatically a christian you have to receive And accept this new covenant that God has given us in Jesus Christ. That's the only way that we enter into heaven. But the good news is that it is available to everyone who chooses to follow. And the point that the writer of Hebrews is saying is that the finished work of Jesus Christ makes the old covenant obsolete, it's better. We like new clothes as as opposed to old ratty ones. We like new cars as opposed to old broken-down cars. We like new bread as opposed to stale, moldy bread. And what the writer of Hebrews is trying to say is that that old covenant is obsolete in every single way. He's saying it's old and He says that it will soon disappear. I think it is amazing that the writer of Hebrews talking about Jeremiah says that it will soon disappear. Is it possible that God gave him, through the Spirit, a view of the horizon? That it wasn't long after he wrote this that the temple was destroyed in 70 AD. And to think that the sacrifices weren't just obsolete, they would disappear. The sacrifices couldn't be offered anymore. And he's saying, in every way, Jesus is better, he's the better high priest. He's the better sacrifice. He's the better dwelling place because he is the better covenant. When Jesus gathered with his disciples, what did he say? This cup is the new covenant of my blood, which is shed for you. As often as you drink it, drink it in remembrance of me. Jesus, even as he gathered with his disciples at the Last Supper, is reminding them that there is this new covenant that he is offering to us. And how do we enter into that new covenant? Paul says this, we enter by faith. Ephesians 3.12 says, In him and through faith." In him we may approach God with freedom and confidence this is how we ended last week right that boldly we can approach the throne of God and now Paul says what that the way in which we approach the throne of God with freedom and confidence is through faith in Jesus Christ Beloved people, what did we say at the very beginning That this new covenant is better in every way because it is acceptance-based, not performance-based. That it's relational instead of transactional. And that it is a gift that we can receive through Christ, not a prize that is awarded to us by fulfilling a contract. Some of you this morning maybe in a place where you are living a performance-based lifestyle. And it's because you look at your life and you look at perhaps the sin that so easily entangles and you constantly wonder, am I good enough? Am I st- am I, have I done enough? Am I stacking up enough in which you feel like you can earn your way into heaven? You, you need to be reminded today That it is not about your performance. That it is about faith in Jesus Christ. That way you don't have to live in fear. You can live in faith and in joy. And then out of that you can say, my desire is to follow your law. My desire now is to live for you. Maybe for others, you need to be reminded, you, you have sat here week in and week out for decades. You came here because your parents were here. But you've never really entered into this new covenant in Jesus Christ. You're, you are here, and it's just been habit. And today is that day for you to be able to say, you know what, I, I know that perhaps this has been something what I've been doing out of habit, but today is the day when I am saying, no, Jesus, I believe that you are the new and the better covenant. Friends, I don't know where you are today, but my prayer for us is that we will indeed find joy, find that joy in Jesus, find that joy in the fact that there is a new and better covenant covenant what i pray all of us know together today is that it is jesus christ who is over everything and what i pray is that it is jesus christ who is over our church and who is over our lives who is over our marriages and our relationships, over our schools, that it is our hearts that beat for his because he gave his heart and his life for us. He's a new and he's a better covenant. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that in every way you are greater greater than the high priests, greater than the sacrifices, greater than the tabernacle or the temple, that, Lord Jesus, you are a better covenant. Lord, would you forgive us for when we have sought after other contracts, other covenants that we think get us to you, and instead, Lord, we would simply receive the gift of Jesus Christ. Lord, a covenant that we enter into by faith lord we pray that whether we need to be reminded of it uh, whether we need to believe it for the first time that together lord we will be a church that claims jesus you indeed are over everything and so i entrust everything to you and so we pray all of these things in jesus name amen and amen If you were encouraged by this message, be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you enjoy your podcast listening, and check out our other discussions and messages. To learn more about Warsaw Evangelical Presbyterian Church's worship services, ministries, and events, visit us online at warsawpresby.org, or follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Thank you again for joining us, and have a blessed day.